19. How many of you know what today is? Besides April Fool's. Who's, who's, who's already played in April Fool's? Huh? Anybody? I thought about playing on one on y'all, but then I decided not to. Besides April Fool's Day, today is a much more important day, Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 40, and some related um, scriptures. Luke 19, verse 37 through 40. I'm going to read these verses. So follow with me in your Bibles. Yeah, bring your Bibles. Bring a notebook. I'm, I'm the type of person I, I like to take notes, so I learn better if I'm writing notes and doing things. And I don't know if everybody's like that, but um, it's a good habit to get into. Luke 19.37 says, Then as he, as Jesus was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That phrase, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, is from Psalm 118. We're going to look at Psalm 118 in just, just a moment. And so they're, they're declaring the words of Psalm 118, which are the words that apply to the Messiah of Israel. And the Pharisees are hearing the people declaring this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, we read those phrases and we don't really, it doesn't really register with us. But when they say peace in heaven and glory in the highest, and they're speaking this toward Jesus riding on a lowly little donkey into Jerusalem... The Pharisees, the lawyers of the day who know the scriptures, understand the implication, the, the thing that's being implied here. Glory in the highest. Who has the highest glory? Well, God does. And his Messiah will. And so they understand very well what is being proclaimed here. And in verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him, called to Jesus from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They shouldn't be saying those things about you because they're not true. They shouldn't be proclaiming those things because those things are reserved for someone other than you. And Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. <clears throat> now that's not just a kind of a cute saying that Jesus is issuing there. There is a reason behind his statement. I want to take you to the book of, of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. Now Joshua 
is the English rendering of the Hebrew name, which is Yahshua. Yahshua. Sound familiar? That, that is Jesus. That, that was, you, you read in a Hebrew Bible or you read in the Hebrew New Testament, you know, Messianic New Testament, they don't write Jesus, they, they write Yeshua. So you know the story of Joshua. Moses takes the children of Israel out of Egypt. They come to Sinai. They receive the law. Now they're getting ready to leave Sinai, and the Ark of the Covenant goes three days before them. You need to catch the symbolism here. You need to understand what, what is being pictured here, even in the Old Testament, that, that is showing us Christ to come. And the Ark goes before them three days to prepare a resting place for them, to prepare a place for them, and the children of Israel follow, and they come to the entrance of the Promised Land. And God instructs Moses to send out 12 spies, one from each tribe, to go spy out the land for 40 days. So they take 12 men from each tribe, and they go into the land of promise, and they spy out the land for 40 days. And they come back carrying with them between their shoulders, like a closet rod, a, um, what do you call those things? I know they're grapes, but a cluster, that's it. Carrying a cluster of grapes between two men. This is, how, this, was, this is the kind of fruit that was there. Can't buy those kind of grapes in H-E-B. I know, because I was there this morning, and they didn't have any. I looked for them. And besides, if you could have bought them, I would not have been able to afford them, because even the little bitty ones that were there were, like, way expensive. So they're carrying this cluster of grapes and they come back and they give a report. And there were two of the tribes, Caleb and Joshua, who said, we are more than able to go up and take our land. And the other ten said, well, wait a minute, there's giants in the land. We can't do it. They're bigger than us. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we're going to go up and take that land. They'll kill us. Joshua and Caleb are like, no, no, no. God has given us the land. God has told us to go. We've got to go. God will destroy our enemies in front of us. God will give us the land. So they have this debate going on, and the ten swayed the rest of the people, and the people said, Moses, you've brought us out here to die in the wilderness. We want to go back to Egypt. Why have you brought us here now to die at the hands of these giants? And, and the Lord says, fine, you guys don't want to go in, don't go in. You'll wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and you'll die in the wilderness, and then I'll send another generation in. All of a sudden, they got faith. Well, wait a minute, God, no, what? we'll go, we'll go. And they actually, if you read the story, they actually went up, and the people of the land defeated them, and they were unable to. And God says, don't bother now. And so this is the Joshua who ultimately took the people of Israel into the land. Galatians says that the law was our tutor that brought us to Christ. 
Moses was the man of God who represented the law. Moses could not go into the promised land. And I believe one of the reasons was because God is showing us. You're not going to enter into the promise of God by your personal strength, by your personal will, by your personal ability to do anything because you have no ability to do anything for God. Because apart from him, without him, you can do nothing. This is what Jesus teaches us in Matthew in uh, John 15. So eventually, Joshua leads them into the promised land. Okay? Now, let's fast forward to the end of the book of Joshua. And let's begin in Joshua chapter 15. I mean, Joshua chapter 24, I'm going to read from verse 15, and I'm going to read a few verses here. Joshua 24, 15, and if it seems, this is Joshua, some of you might even have this saying that comes from this verse on your door. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell... But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, far be it from us. Now remember, this is the generation that, that is able to go into the promised land. There's only two from the previous generation. Only Joshua and Caleb are the only two of everyone that came out of Egypt, of that generation, that, that was able to go in. All the rest of them were children. They were not of that generation. God raised them up for 40 years in the wilderness so the new generation plus Joshua and Caleb. And this is Joshua of that previous generation because he had faith, even though he, didn't, he had to wait 40 years because he had faith that God was able to give them the land and they were able to obtain the promise. He had to wait 40 years because the people didn't have faith. But he got to go in to the land of promise. And so he's telling this to the people he said, choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Verse 17, for the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all in the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, look at this, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your, trans your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. You know, church, in our flesh, we cannot serve the Lord in our flesh. We cannot. This is something we teach in the Not I But Christ Bible study. No matter how well you behave, no matter how well you modify the behavior of your flesh, you cannot make your flesh spiritual because flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. 
And Joshua, as the Lord did, understood the heart of the people here. Now, they may have really wanted to serve God, but they, they really did not grasp the holiness of God. They really did not grasp who this God is that they're saying we're going to serve. And Joshua knows their hearts. He knows who they are, and he says, you cannot serve him. He is holy. You can't do it. Try as you might. You will fail. Paul says it like this in Romans. Try as you might. You will never be justified by the works of the flesh. You won't be. And they said, no, but we will serve the Lord. In our flesh, we cannot serve God. We can only be saved by God. Are you hearing me? In your flesh, you cannot serve God. The only thing we can do is be saved by God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, Nicodemus, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When God saves us, when God causes us to be born again, and we're no longer of the flesh, but now we are born from above of the Spirit, and we've put away the image of the man of dust, he's been crucified and buried, and we now have been raised in the image of of the Lord from heaven, who is a life-giving spirit, he has given life to us. When we're raised up in Christ, in his life, and we receive his spirit, now we are able to not serve God in the flesh, but now we are able to walk in the spirit. You'll never serve God in the flesh. You're not called to serve God in the flesh. What you're called to do is walk, live in the Spirit. And the children of Israel, as God gave Moses the law, the children of Israel, in their futility, trying to serve God in the flesh in the wilderness, couldn't do it. Even though they went into the promised land, they drove out many of their enemies, but they finally just got tired and they, they quit pressing on and, and they let their enemies stay in the land. And because God understood that they would never be able to attain the promise, achieve the promise through the power and the works of the flesh. So in the flesh, we can't serve God. We can only be saved by God. And when God saves us and he gives us his spirit, we are then called to walk in the spirit. Even as we have received the spirit, so walk in the spirit. Amen? So Joshua, verse 22, so Joshua said to the people, now look at this, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Yes, we agree. You know, you need to be careful sometimes what you... <laughs> they, they're really not getting what's going on here. This is serious business. And now, therefore, he said, put away your foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. 
And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law. The very words we're reading right now. He wrote them in the book of the law, and he t- isn't that something? You ever go to an antique store and you say, wow, look, this book was printed in 1841. I want to buy that just because I like old books and I want to have an old book. Listen, you're reading the words, the very words that Joshua wrote down from the day that he made this covenant, the day that he spoke these very words to the children of Israel. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone. Everybody say stone. He took a large stone and set it up under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. That's that's an interesting thought, isn't it? This stone has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you lest you deny your God. Now let's go back. Let's go back to Luke chapter 19. Here is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on his donkey. Well, it actually wasn't his donkey. He borrowed it. And had never been ridden before. He's riding in. And the people, the multitudes are coming. And they're lining the way. And they're throwing their, their cloaks and their clothes. And they've got palm branches. And they're laying the, the branches down on the road so that the, the hoofs of the donkey don't even touch the ground. Jesus is riding and they're saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the Pharisees said, Hey, Jesus, tell your disciples, tell these people to be quiet. They don't know what they're saying. And Jesus said, No, you be quiet because you don't know what you're saying. Because if they don't praise me, if they don't cry out and proclaim who I am, The very stones will testify against you because you have denied your God. You have denied your God is what Jesus is saying to them. Now, remember this is from Psalm 118. Now let's go over to Psalm 118. Now, understand this, the Pharisees, the lawyers, that word Pharisees, they were a sect of lawyers. That's really what they were. They were were lawyers. What was the law that they knew? They knew the law of Moses, right? It's not a lawyer in the... See, we we think differently today in modern-day America because we have what we call the separation of church and state, although that phrase is not in the Constitution. Uh, we, we use that and we throw that around. But, but we do have separation of powers. And so lawyers today are not the same as lawyers back in Jesus' day. 
The lawyers today, some of them may, but let's just say, let's be generous and say the lawyers today, many of them don't have a clue what the Bible really says, okay? But they know the law. So they know case history, they know, you know, wherever you practice, they know civil law, they know criminal law. The lawyers in Jesus' day, the law they knew was this law. It was the word of God. It was the law of Moses. It was the, it was the scripture, what we would call the Old Testament scriptures. And the writings and the oral traditions and the rabbinic arguments, they were very well versed in that because that's what ruled, that's what ruled their culture. They didn't have a secular government and a religious government. It was all the same to them. And so these lawyers understood the law. And one of the things that was real common, for instance, Psalm 22. When Jesus hangs on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the very first line of Psalm 22. And if you were to go and read, don't do it now because you'll get distracted, but go home later and read Psalm 22. You read Psalm 22, you will see that Psalm 22 is a perfect picture of Jesus being crucified on the cross. So when Jesus proclaims, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He's not just saying, God, Father, why have you left me? He is proclaiming something. He is proclaiming, I am the Lamb of God. I am the fulfillment of the Passover. I am the Messiah. I am the suffering servant. I am the one Isaiah spoke of. I am the one David spoke of. I am the one that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15, the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. I am he, I am your Messiah, I am your God. That's what he's proclaiming when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because every one of those Pharisees standing there knew by heart the rest of that psalm. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. So as they hear the people, the disciples saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord from Psalm 18, they know all of Psalm 18, those Pharisees do, and they said, hey, You tell those people to shut up. Do you understand what they're saying about you? Jesus said, yes, I do understand what they're saying about me. And if they don't say it, the very stones, the very rock that testified, that your fathers testified as a witness and said, we will serve God. We will obey God. We will not deny our God. If you don't, if they don't say it, that stone of witness will cry out because I am your God. And you may deny me, but I'll tell you what, the very rocks will cry out because they bear witness to the testimony. You would think now, some 1,500 years later, as Jesus is riding that donkey into Jerusalem, since that day that Joshua is with the children of Israel, you'd think some 1,500 years later, that'd just be like ancient history that nobody remembers, right? Well, you know, that was just a special ceremony they did that day under that oak tree, but it really didn't mean anything. No, it really meant something. What we do in Christ, what we do 
as children of God, what we do as proclaimers of the gospel, what we do as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you what, it really matters. It really matters. Do you hear me, church? It really matters. Psalm 118. I gave you some time to find it. Have you found it? Okay. Now, I'm going to read this psalm. We're going to read it together. I know it's 29 verses. And I know public speaking, you're not just supposed to get up and read things. Um, But this is the scripture, okay? Remember when the children of Israel came back out of captivity and they're rebuilding the temple and they're having the dedication service and then somebody finds the scroll of the law and they begin to read the scroll of the law and it says all day long they read the scroll of the Lord and the people wept at the hearing of God's word because many of them had never heard it before. They stood there all day long. I promise you I'm not going to read to you all day long, okay? But I am going to read this psalm to you. Psalm 118, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Church, do you know that we can now say, we can We could have said it then, but we can for sure say now, his mercy endures forever because God has proven his sure mercies because he has sent his son. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear What can man do to me? The Lord is for me. The Lord is among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Do you agree, church? It's better to trust in the Lord. Verse 10. All nations surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Now I want to pause there for a minute. You see this language a lot in the Psalms. You see this language especially in the Psalms. You, you read in the Old Testament the children of Israel. And, and here is David. Here's the writer of this Psalm. And he's saying, all the nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I will destroy them. I will destroy them. Say, that's not very loving. But I want you to, I want you to, I want you to shift your way of thinking. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to, to, to make a paradigm shift here in the way that we look at this psalm and read this psalm. I'm going to tell you right now. God's desire, listen to me, God's desire is to utterly destroy the nations. He will utterly destroy the nations. 
You know how he's going to do it? You know how he has done it? By the cross. The cross is God's instrument that will utterly destroy the nations. The cross is God's instrument that has utterly destroyed the nations. This is why Paul says there is no longer Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. Turn with me. Let's pause real quick. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to come back to Psalm 118, okay? Why do I say that God wants to destroy the nations? I know some of you are going, Pastor Jeff, you're getting kind of militant, aren't you? No. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Look what Peter says about a nation. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's Peter. Paul says in Ephesians 5:8, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, God has destroyed the nations. And he has established a holy, one holy nation. Ephesians 2.15, he has created in himself one new man. He has called you a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The cross is the instrument of God that that abolishes the nations and brings into Christ and establishes a holy nation. How did we, how did we become part of that as Peter writes that to the people of God? How did you and I become part of that? Did we become part of that because we served God really well with our flesh? No. Because you can't serve the Lord because he is holy. But God can save you. And when he saves you and causes you to be born again, you might have been Irish, you might have been Bohemian, you might have been Mexican, you might have been German, you might have been American, I don't know. But when you're born again of the Spirit of God, you're not of that nation any longer. You are now of a holy nation. Now I'm telling you, God is in the business of destroying the nations because our identity as the people of God is not a nation our ancestors were born in. Our identity as the people of God is the holy nation that Jesus Christ established through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Amen? And this is exactly what Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to do. He is six days away from the cross And he is coming in, and he is on a mission, and he is going to establish the holy nation of God. He is going to secure for God his own special people, a royal priesthood, a priesthood of believers, of priests and kings unto God. Are you with me, church? Are you with me?
Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. And thank God for it. What happened to Paul? His old man was destroyed. He was of one nation. God says, that nation's gone. The holy nation is the nation my son has died for. The holy nation is the son, is the nation my son was raised for. The holy nation is what you have been made a part of through the new birth by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live. How do we have that promise, church? We have that promise because of what Jesus Christ did. We have that promise, I shall not die but live because I have come into the life eternal, into the resurrection life and the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one new man, the life-giving spirit that has come from heaven, that has given life, that has established for himself and for his father a people, a nation, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There should be some rejoicing in the tents of the righteous. Because God, by his right hand, has done what no man could ever have done. God has done by his right hand what only could have been done by himself. And he has done it. And there should be great rejoicing. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely. He has not given me but has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. Jesus said, I am the gate of the sheep. I am the way. There is no other. I will praise you, verse 21, for you have answered me and have become my salvation, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm telling you what, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, this is the day that the Lord has made. Save now, I pray, O Lord, I pray, sin now, prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the verses they're quoting as Jesus is riding in on the donkey. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. And he has given us light. He is the light that comes into the world. But they loved darkness instead of the light. But he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. This is what they were proclaiming. This is what 
the Pharisees were hearing. They weren't just hearing one verse of that psalm. They were hearing the total message of this psalm. And this is why they ridiculed and mocked Jesus as he hung on the cross. And they said, oh, so you're the Messiah. Oh, so you're going to destroy the nations. Oh, so you're going to destroy the enemies of Israel. Uh, Doesn't look like it. You're hanging on a cross, fixing to die. Can't even save yourself. How are you going to save the nations? I mean, that's that's the way they mocked Jesus. But see, they looked at that psalm and they understood something from a carnal point of view instead of understanding in their spirit what God had done. Well, they couldn't understand it because they weren't spiritual. Because they had never been born again. Because they were still only trying to comprehend things from their flesh, from their carnality. I'm going to tell you what. When Jesus died on that cross, he destroyed the nations. When he died on that cross, he destroyed the enemies of his people. He did it. Though Rome still ruled for another 400 plus years, and though it looked like even in the persecution that arose some 60, some 30 years later in the church, it didn't look like Jesus defeated his enemies. It didn't look like the Messiah came and destroyed the enemies of Israel. It didn't look like the nations were destroyed, but see, we're looking with the wrong eyes. Hebrews says, he has put all things in subjection to him, yet we do not see all things under him. Yet we see Jesus. If we understand what transpired at the cross, if we understand what transpires at our salvation, we understand very clearly that the cross was the instrument God used to destroy the nations and to establish for himself the one holy nation that he had in his eternal counsel and eternal purpose planned to establish. Our physical lineage doesn't matter. Our spiritual lineage absolutely does. And as Jesus hung on that cross, and when he uttered those words, it is finished. I'm going to tell you what, church, it was finished. At that moment, our enemies... Their defeat was a done deal. The devil didn't even know it. He didn't realize it. The rulers of this world had no clue what was happening. But when Jesus uttered those words, it is finished, it was finished. It was done. I'm telling you what, the kingdoms of hell, the kingdoms of this world that plotted in vain, that raged against the king of kings and the lord of lords, those kingdoms came tumbling down. And from the ashes, from from what seemed sure defeat, God raised up his kingdom. And he raised up his king. And he said, I will establish in the earth my king, my holy nation. If you've been born again today, if you are a child of God today, that is you. I don't care whether you got brown skin, white skin. I don't care whether your parents came from Europe or they came from Central America. It doesn't matter. If you've been born from above, you are of the holy nation, the only nation that matters. And this is what was being proclaimed as Jesus marches in to Jerusalem. 
And some could see it, and some were blind to it. And the ones that were blind to it were crying, tell your people to be quiet. God says, no, the stone will testify. Even if they don't, the stone will testify. I am your God. Deny me if you will, but even the rocks will testify that I am who I am. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 19. Now, verse 41, now as they drew near the city, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem. Just some less than 40 years later, the Roman army sieged Jerusalem and utterly destroyed the temple, destroyed hundreds of thousands, if not some, some estimates are maybe a million people died in that city during that siege. I will level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Do you know the time of your visitation? Do you know that this is the time of your visitation? Do you understand this, church? This is our time of visitation. The Lord has come. Where does he live? We get confused about this. Well, he lives in heaven. Yes, he is in heaven, but where else is he? He's in you, Christ in you, Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. He is the fulfillment of that last great feast, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. God with us. He has come, he has tabernacled with us, and he has not left. Now, I know Jesus will one day return physically in a second coming. but That does not diminish in any way that Christ in you, the hope of glory, is a reality that you need to begin to comprehend. That the work God has done in you is a finished work, and it is also a work that he is still doing. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But yet, the reality that he lives in you, the fullness of him lives in you, the fullness of the Godhead lives in you. He lives in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it lives in you. Do you comprehend that? You need a revelation of that. I can't give it to you, but the spirit of God can. If you don't have a revelation of that, you need to pray and ask God to give you a revelation of it. Well, I did, but he didn't. Well, keep praying. Well, I have, but he hasn't. Well, keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Because man can't give you that revelation, but the Spirit of God will. And if you're willing to settle for less, if you're willing to settle for lesser truths or things that are not even truth at all, then that's your prerogative. That's your right to choose. But I want, to, I want to challenge you 
to not settle for lesser truths or things that are not even truth. I want to challenge you to seek that which is the truth. I want to challenge you to seek a revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to challenge you to seek a revelation that God has already destroyed your enemies, that you have already become a holy nation in Christ Jesus, that he has put in your jar of clay a treasure that is most excellent. And the power of that treasure is exceedingly great and glorious. And it works in you and it works for you and it works towards you for his glory. And this is what he accomplished. This is your time of visitation. You won't have another time on earth except the time allotted to you right now. However long that might be. I'm 51 years old. My time of visitation is becoming shorter day by day. I used to not think about those things like that. But now all of a sudden I wake up thinking about, hey, you know, man, I... I, I've already lived 51 years. Chances are I ain't going to get another 51 on this earth. Maybe, maybe not. But even if I do, who knows what I'm going to be like, you know? So my time of visitation is drawing to a close. We're all going to meet Jesus one day, whether he comes to meet us or whether we go to meet him. But however it happens, I'm telling you what, your time of visitation is drawing to a close. Don't waste it. Don't take it for granted. Don't miss your time of visitation. Don't live in ignorance. Come to a knowledge of the truth and let God set you free. Are you hearing me? This is, listen, this is, the, this is what we are called to be. This is what we are called to do. This is our mission as the church. Our identity is not our ethnic background. Our identity is not where our citizenship is on this earth. Our identity is Christ. The identity of the church is not determined by what we do. What we do as a church, should be determined by our identity, and we are the people of God. This isn't about marketing. This isn't about branding. This isn't about any of that. I mean, today we've got green churches. We've got churches that go under all kinds of things. And we conform our identity to the label that we want to well, I want to be a green church. I want to preserve the earth. You think that's, I'm telling you, there's churches like that. Their whole mission is to save the earth. We've got to reduce our carbon footprint. That's our mission. No, that's not your mission. Uh, carbon footprint's not in Jesus' vocabulary. Jesus isn't green. He could care less about it. Does that mean we shouldn't be good stewards of the earth? We should be the best stewards of the earth as children of God. We should value the earth more than anybody should. But we shouldn't worship it. We should take care of it better than anybody does. Because we know personally the, the, the guy who created it. 
He's our best friend. Why would I want to mar his creation? I don't want to. But my identity is not based on those things. Our identity is based on who we are in Christ. Christ determines the identity of the church, and he is its identity. So what does the church do? The church needs to go out and do things that are consistent with who its head is. Who, the one who gives life to it, who gives meaning to it, who gives everything. That's what we should do as the people of God. We should value the scripture above all things. We should value the gospel. There should be nothing that we do that is not centered in the gospel. Our preaching and teaching on Sunday morning is centered in the gospel. Our preaching and teaching on Wednesday night is centered in the gospel. When we take your kids next door and they're taught, they are being taught things that are centered in the gospel. You, as a child of God, your life must be centered in the gospel. Why? Because only, only, only the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You can't guilt people into the kingdom. You can't emotionalize them into the kingdom. You can't do it. You can't talk them into the kingdom. Only the gospel has the power to take them from darkness into light, from death into life. Only, only, only the gospel has the power to do that. And we need to begin to understand what it means. What is the gospel? What does it mean to be gospel-centered? What is this word gospel? We, we better begin to understand that and comprehend that. Otherwise, we will not experience the power of God's salvation. We won't experience it apart from the gospel. So we've got to be faithful farmers who are faithful to do their work, who don't become impatient. But we are patient farmers, enduring, waiting for God to bring the harvest that he has promised if we have faithfully planted good seed. Amen? Jesus Christ, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is your time of visitation on this earth, church. Don't waste it. Don't take it for granted. Ask God to give you a revelation. Ask God to give you wisdom. Ask God to be your help, to be your strength. Ask him to show you what's in your heart. Ask him to mold you, to shape you, to change you. These are dangerous things to ask God. I'll grant it. These are dangerous things to ask God. But are we serious about who we say we are? Or are we we the church or are we just playing church? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want to play church anymore. We are the church. And if we are the church... And we trust our head and we trust our Lord. We trust the one who created and birthed this thing called the church. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand.
Thank you, Lord. And Father, I just pray right now, Lord, for, for each one of us in this place. Lord, from this, uh, from this podium down to the very back of this building, everyone in here, Lord, church is not where we go. It's not what we do. It's who we are. Lord, I believe when you rode into Jerusalem, you rode in and you literally were deadly serious about what you were doing. You laid your life down. You laid your life down to bring forth a holy nation. You laid your life down to bring forth a people. You laid your life down so that we could also lay our lives down, so that we could be crucified with you, so that we could be raised with you. In your life and in your power. Father, I pray today for each one of us here. God, we would begin to recognize that this is our time of visitation on this earth. Lord, church isn't just a place we go on Sunday or Wednesday. It's who we are called to be. Not just the days of our life here on this earth, but Lord, if we are the church, then we are eternally the church. In our life, our walk, God should manifest that reality. And Lord, we're asking you today that you would help us. That you would help us, God. We ask this, Lord, with fear and trembling. Because, Lord, we don't really understand fully what we're asking or what we're praying. But, Lord, I do know you and I do trust you. And the little bit that I know of you, God, I do know that you are love. And I do know that you are good. And I do know that you are faithful. And I do know that you, above all and anything else, anyone else, is trustworthy. So we trust you, Lord. We ask God that you would cause this people here called Christ Fellowship and people that go under whatever other name and title, God, that you would cause your people, Lord, to manifest your life and your love, that, Lord, we would begin to overflow into the lives of our families and our friends, in our workplace, in our places that we play, in our places that we recreate, Father God, that you would cause the love and the life of Christ in us to begin to overflow, that God, we are the vehicle, Lord, that you have chosen to use to bring people to faith in Christ. Help us to recognize that. Help us, God, to understand the importance of our time of visitation. Help us not be like Israel in your day that missed their time of visitation because they would not see and they would not hear. God, we're asking you to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are open, minds that are open, that we would fulfill our time of visitation and our time would bring glory and honor to your name. We thank you, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you want prayer, maybe you want to just talk about knowing the Lord. Maybe you say, I've never been born again, Pastor Jeff. 
and you'd like to talk to me or pray with me about that, or maybe you've got some other prayer needs, you are welcome to come. I encourage you to come. Amen? God bless you. Have a great day. See you tonight for Not I But Christ at 6. Remember youth volleyball from 3 to 5 at Sonic.